Well, I hope your heart through that is already prepared for what we celebrate in a few weeks. We celebrate the gift of the Savior to us. Come thou long expected Jesus. And we, that's still our heart's cry as we look forward to his second coming. And for those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, trusting in him for salvation. Um, that is a glorious thought indeed. And we, we say that again with hearts that are ready, right? And even through what my family has been, even through this weekend, we're reminded that we're, as my dad is already there, we're looking forward to that glorious day and we'll be together again. Well, turn in your Bibles. We're back to the Gospel of John this morning. Since we're not, I'm not preaching tonight, I wanted to continue our study. We'll get back to our worship series next week, Lord willing. Um, if you'll remember last Sunday evening, the passage that we looked at um, was it was heavy. It, it was re reality and Jesus was pointing out to his disciples what they would soon have to face. And he wanted them to live in the reality of what ministry would be like for, for Jesus. And we, we know that's the case. We know that we face opposition from the world, certainly. But it is heavy to hear. And it was heavy for the disciples. And they understood it much less at that point than what we do today. And remember, Jesus is giving the, this instruction and this understanding to his disciples all at once. So they didn't have to wait for the following week <laughs> for the next part of what he would say to them as we had to uh, this week. Also, remember this um, from the end of chapter 14. And as Jesus begins his instruction on the vine and the Holy Spirit in chapter 15 through chapter 16. Um, they have, you remember at the end of chapter 14, he said, let us go up from here. He was ready to meet what was facing him, but don't think that this, he's teaching them that they continue to be in the upper room. They actually, from what we can tell, um, they're walking to the garden of Gethsemane as Jesus is teaching them at this point. Remember uh, reading about an executive that said, a CEO of a company that said he did his best talking and teaching to his employees while he was walking. And so it, it's a somewhat common thing. You can still talk to your friends and to people as you are um, walking together. That seems to be what's going on here. Jesus is teaching his disciples, giving him them this very, very important. We're going to see how important this information is again today as we look through this. And we head on into chapter 16. But Jesus was not going to leave his disciples with that heavy message of persecution without letting them know again that help is on the way. Certainly, he is not getting ready to depart and then saying, you're going to have to face all this persecution without me because he will send one who will be able to be of even better help. One sent, as we see this morning, from the Father, but also from the Son, 
the paraclete. Jesus is not finished talking about this wonderful third person of the Trinity. And he says, don't you worry. The persecution will be great, but you will not be left alone. I will provide all of the help that you need. We're going to see in chapter 16, verse 7, he says, it is to your advantage that I go away because this helper will be all that you need to get through. And that helper, the Holy Spirit, is with all of God's children today, helping us to get through persecution through hard times with us this morning. His presence is with us to help us. And so we're going to see here describe the mission of the paraclete. Jesus has described his mission all throughout this gospel and his teaching that he was sent from the Father for a specific purpose. And he's saying, as I depart, the paraclete, the spirit of truth, will continue that mission. He will be the next stage in that mission as I go back to the Father. And so let's just read verses 26 and 27 together. But when the Helper comes, whom I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Lord, Father, thank you for this marvelous truth that you have not left us alone, that for those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, Lord, we have put our entire dependence on the fact that Jesus died for our sins and has risen again to provide us new life. All of our trust and faith and hope is in Jesus, that he has not left us without help, that this wonderful spirit, the spirit of truth, the paraclete, that is all that we need, that is our advocate, that helps us to pray, that helps us in our ministry to this dark world that you've called us to participate in, that he keeps us preserves us until Jesus returns. What glorious um, hope that brings to us, especially going through very difficult times. He will keep us through. Lord, even as we look further about the ministry of the Spirit, if there's someone today who hasn't put their faith and trust in Jesus and does not know the hope and comfort of of this glorious ministry of this Spirit that you give us, May today be the day that they trust Christ and experience the hope, the comfort, and the strength that your spirit, your paraclete, provides us. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The mission of the paraclete. And first of all, we see here that Jesus makes it clear the spirit of truth, the paraclete, will produce a ministry of witness. And he will inaugurate a further ministry of witness that will go beyond what Jesus is able to do in his earthly ministry. Verse 26, that when, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father. Now, why have I been referring him to him as the paraclete? Well, that is the Greek word for the helper and translations try uh, their best to um, describe what this this person is and his ministry. Um, 
helper is one aspect of this. Certainly, in many translations, he's described as a helper. He does help us, but that doesn't really go into the detail of all that the Holy Spirit does for us. Others just leave it as the Greek word, as paraclete. Some translations say comforter. And when the King James translators originally translated that word comforter, it meant much more than it does today. It meant much more than just sympathizing, able to sympathize with us. But it was one that came alongside and helped in every way possible. And in that way, the Holy Spirit certainly is our comforter. But really, the best way to still describe him as the Greek word, the paraclete, as we have already gone through all that he does for us, it encapsulates his whole mission. And we'll describe, even in this passage this morning, all that he does for us. And he comes, sent, the Lord Jesus will send him at the appropriate time, he'll describe this more soon, and he will come from the Father. Notice the whole work of the Trinity here. You can't miss it, right? Jesus, um, he has already said earlier as he's talked about the spirit of truth coming, that he will pray the Father and the Father will send. And here we have that picture again. I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit that is only able to communicate truth, just as Jesus, the word, and everything that he does, he is truth. So the Holy Spirit is truth. And he and then enables us to have a ministry of truth to the world. And he proceeds from the Father. In other words, really, I think the picture is here, just as Jesus was sent from the Father on a mission, so the Holy Spirit will be sent from the Father to continue that mission in a much more, uh, even more powerful way. And that mission, first of all, will be to bear witness about me. The Holy Spirit will be sent to continue the next stage in the mission. And what is that? To continue, bear continued witness to Jesus and what he's about to do. He is about to die for the sins of the world. And he will soon accomplish that mission even though it will seem to his followers that he has been defeated. And Satan may triumph at that moment and think that he has defeated Jesus. In actuality, when Jesus dies on that cruel cross and sheds his blood for our sins, that is triumph. That is victory. Because his sin covers and cleanses. Oh, I'm sorry, his blood, excuse me. Jesus' blood covers and cleanses us from our sin, and he is fully effective in his work. And when he accomplishes that, and he is raised from the dead, and he is able to give us new life and impart the Spirit to us, then the Holy Spirit will proclaim that to the world. And how will the Holy Spirit proclaim that? Verse 27, through the followers of Jesus, and he says, you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Here, the Trinity is involved in this continued mission that will include Jesus' followers. These disciples here will be the first. And they also play a role in the continued witness 
of the accomplished mission that Jesus Christ is soon to accomplish fully. But they won't have to do it alone. They won't have to go through. Chapter 16, and they won't have to bear witness of Jesus alone, but the Holy Spirit will be with them to empower them for the mission. Isn't it wonderful that when God gives us a mission to perform, he doesn't leave us to our own devices to do it. He doesn't say, here you go, do the best you can, but he gives us what we need to proclaim to the world the atoning work of Jesus Christ, the effective work. The disciples had this wonderful privilege. Why? Because they had been with him from the beginning, right? The beginning of his earthly ministry. But it wasn't something that we should commend them for because Jesus chose these men to be with him. And he chose them then to continue the mission. All of this privilege of ministry for these men was because of the grace of God, because of Jesus' grace, and in his grace, he will provide for them. Uh, I had for many years the privilege of working with young people, as you know, a youth pastor in Maryland. And one of the greatest privileges I had is when we had evangelistic outreaches and um, youth outreaches where we had many churches coming in, did a, an event for many years the Lord just kind of gave me the inspiration for it called In It to Win It. We have Rand Hummel or some other speaker from the Wilds Christian camp would come and give a couple of messages and we would play games and we would uh, eat um, dinner together. And um, this was a big event. I needed a lot of help. And I knew in advance as we were preparing for these events, I knew as I looked at our teenagers the leaders and those who the Lord had privileged me to be able to work in their lives. I looked around in our youth group and said, that person, that person, that person would be of great help to us. And they need the experience of ministering to others. And I would choose specific young people that I knew God was working in their hearts and lives and that were ready for another lead, a greater leadership role and ask them to be a part of this. And thankfully, they were always glad to do that. I would, we would give them the tools and we would work through the whole event beforehand so that they knew what they were doing. We would prepare them for that. And then in the uh, excitement of that day to stand back and have it all going on, having led in, in that way and seeing these young people take it on as their own and ministering to each other and leading in the games and ministering to other young people, folks, there is no greater thrill than that. And being able to choose specific people that the Lord made it clear needed that leadership opportunity and would be able to minister effectively was a wonderful thing indeed. Well, in a much deeper way, Jesus had done that with his disciples. And whether they didn't realize this, but the time has come for them soon to continue this mission. And Jesus will provide them everything that they need. Jesus provides us everything that we need today to continue on the mission. To. We have the Holy Spirit that empowers us for what we face, folks. So don't be fearful. We, we see this um, 
exhortation throughout scripture for God's people to not be fearful. And yet it's still hard. It, it, there, are, there are times where we just get overwhelmed, and I understand that. But remember, we have the paraclete, the Holy Spirit within us to strengthen us, to enable us to get through. And so in one sense, we have no excuse. He's there. Jesus has provided him. And he will help us to be the witness that we needed to be. Um, in the midst of, we have, I just, this just came to me. I'll share this with you rather than sharing it tonight. Um, Kentuckook last night had their village Christmas festival. And, uh, you know, when you to actually experience something like that, I mean, who, who needs a Hallmark channel when we have here in New England the opportunity to experience these things? There was a band, uh, um, a, a band underneath the pavilion and a Christmas tree lighting, and there was free hot chocolate from Dunkin' Donuts, and there was a lot of people there, and it really was a, a very nice uh, evening. So a lot of the shops were open, and the trains there, the caboose and a number of the trains were open. And there were people, there were cookies and hot chocolate and, and women reading stories to the children. It was just very nicely done. Uh, Leslie had invited our friends that we've told you about before, Christine and Gary, to come to this. And Leslie has been working with, with Christine and we've shared with you. Uh, well, they were able to come last night and we met up with them and we just had a wonderful time of talking with them. I got to meet Gary, got to meet their daughters. And the Lord just worked all of that out. And he, he, he worked in the right time after all our concerns about further ministry in God's timing. He allowed us that time. We we're able to get to know them better, good fellowship. And the Lord just, the Holy Spirit gave us what we needed to have ministry with them. And so we're praying for continued opportunities in the future. But I think they saw a family that is just a normal family. Four energetic young kids with their energetic daughters, little girls, and we're just praying the Lord will continue to use that. Jesus gives us what we need as we minister for him. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit will inaugurate a further ministry of witness, but he will, on the heavy side, he will initiate a time of testing for Jesus' followers. And Jesus goes back to this theme that we had last week at the beginning of chapter 16. I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. Here is the purpose of Jesus and the tremendously important purpose for him imparting all of this truth to his followers. He's leaving them with truth that will keep them through the terrible ordeal that they are about to experience as Jesus is sacrificed on a cross for the sin of the world. And beyond that as well to the persecution that they're going to face after Jesus returns to his father. And Jesus says, I'm giving you this truth so that when this happens, it's about to happen. You will stay faithful. You will remember my words. And through severe persecution, you will not fall away. But I will keep you until the time where the Holy Spirit will come and be able to strengthen you for service. And Jesus continues to describe what they would experience, verse 2. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. 
severe persecution indeed that they're about to face. The idea of in a Jewish mindset of one that is barred from corporate worship, from the public worship, that was the right and privilege of every Jew to be able to go to the beautiful temple and worship with God's people, to be barred from that, to be held back from that, um, is one of the worst things that, that a Jewish person could experience. And Jesus is saying here, and yet you will not be allowed at some point in your lives, you will be kept from that public worship together. That will be severe persecution indeed. But even worse, there will be people who want to end their lives to kill them in thinking that they're serving God in that way, pursued by religious zealots who were um, in an awful way convinced that putting his followers to death was actually an act of service and worship to God. How twisted, how demented, how could that happen? And yet, don't we in the New Testament have an example of that? Uh, one in the book of Acts who was convinced that his service to God was to get rid of all the Christians. And Jesus miraculously turned him around, confronted him with his wrongheadedness, convicted as we see, we're going to see here next in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, convicted him of his sin and his self-righteousness and his wrong judgment against God's people and turned him around to where he would gloriously be saved and used in a mighty way. The Apostle Paul, that's just one example. Yes, there would be those who think, who thought that in killing and ending the lives of God's people, they were actually serving God. Jesus wants his followers to know that, but he reminds them as well, it's not personal because verse three, they will do these things because they have not known the Father, nor have they known me. How could somebody um, attack Jesus' followers in this way, thinking that they're serving God? How could that be possible? Because those religious zealots, even though they thought they had a relationship with God, actually didn't know the Father at all. They had no relationship with God at all. Because they had rejected Jesus Christ. In reality, they had not relationship with God at all. And Jesus, again, is imparting these truths to his disciples to, to remember when those times of persecution come. Look at verse 4. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, when the hour of the persecutors come and you face this, that you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Jesus says, this is what you need to know. And there was no need earlier on in my ministry to tell you these things because my presence was with you. But I have to depart, and you need to be aware of the reality of the situation so that God will continue through this truth that I'm giving you to help you to persevere through what's about to take place. Well, that's a heavy, heavy thing to have to go through. And we understand that we face opposition today. As well as believers, we can sense it in our world today. We can sense it in this country, the disdain that people have, even in our, the country of the United States of America, towards Christians today. 
So where do we find comfort with that heavy burden and that heavy truth? We take comfort in the fact that this animosity towards us was known by Christ, and he will enable his followers to endure to the end. Um, one commentator, Leon Morris, had something that I thought was helpful here. He said, the removal of the master would transform the situation. Now the hostility will be directed at them, the disciples. When the trials come, they will know that they are no more than Jesus predicted. Thus, instead of being a difficulty to faith, the trials would actually strengthen their faith. When troubles came, the disciples would remember that this is just what Jesus said would happen. And it would strengthen them. Well, the Holy Spirit will come to bear witness to Christ. But in the last verses we'll look at today, verses 5 through 11, he will bring a ministry of conviction as well. And Jesus here in, uh, brings great hope to his followers to let them know that something that they are looking at is a very tragic and um, hurtful thing. The departure of Jesus and the actuality is of great benefit, of advantage to them. That the coming of the Holy Spirit will be a great advantage to Jesus' followers. Jesus says in verse 5, chapter 16, but now I am going to him who sent me. How can that be a good thing? And his disciples have already been questioning him. Where are you going? Which is interesting because then Jesus says here, and none of you ask me, where are you going? Huh. Well, Jesus, we, we, John has just given us um, the narrative earlier that your disciples were asking that question. What, what's Jesus saying here? Did he just not remember all of this and the trauma of the moment? No. What seems best to um, say that Jesus is emphasizing here is that, you know, many times when we're going through very hurtful things and somebody has hurt us, we may ask them a question about what is going on or why they're doing a particular thing, but it's not ultimately to try to find the answer to it. It's out of pain and out of hurt. And, and, and when we're angry with someone, many times when we're asking a question like, how could you allow this to happen? How could you do this to me? We're not really looking for the answer. We're putting blame on the other person because of our hurt and our self-focus. And really, Jesus is pointing that out here. The disciples were not as much seeking information about the events that were about to take place. But in actuality, they were really accusing him of leaving and neglecting him of them they were really saying how can you do this to us jesus and jesus says you're so self-focused you're not able to um, focus and understand what i'm about to go through um, they are totally focused on their own hurt rather than to hear from jesus the truth of his departure and what's about to happen. And this is a gentle um, rebuke in a sense for that. But he understands, verse 6. And isn't it wonderful that even as Jesus shows us our own self-will, that he still shows us grace and mercy and understanding. And he says, but, I, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. You're very self-focused right now. But I understand because 
you're dealing with this deep sorrow and hurt. And then he wants them to understand this marvelous truth, though. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's Jesus saying, listen to me. This is truth. You need to understand this. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. How could there be any advantage to Jesus leaving this group of disciples? He had chosen them. He had mentored them. He had brought them along to this point. Any, is there anything good that could come out of this? How could that be? And yet Jesus says, listen to me. I'm telling you the truth. It is for your ultimate good. It is for your best interest that I go. It's all a part of God's plan. When I leave, I will still not leave you without help. I will give you the best help, the most um, sufficient help that you could possibly have. And I have to go away in order to do that. In other words, Jesus would have to um, accomplish his mission of atonement for our sin and victory over death as he was raised from the dead to then be able to provide for the presence of the spirit in the lives of his followers. He would send this paraclete, the spirit of truth, to minister in a more comprehensive manner after he returned to the Father. Jesus in his physical presence still obviously uh, had the power of God and was working mighty things, but it was over a limited area. And when he returned to the Father, then he would send the Holy Spirit that would literally be able to enable Jesus' followers and disciples to proclaim the message of Jesus throughout the whole world in a much more comprehensive fashion than Jesus could in his earthly ministry. And he would strengthen them in an inward sense, the Holy Spirit would, to give them strength and power beyond what they could have ever experienced to perform and accomplish this work. Oh, Jesus tells the truth here when he um, promotes the benefits of this Holy Spirit, of this helper. Folks, don't ever diminish the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Be thankful for it. Be glad for it. And what is his ministry? Again, verse 8 through 11, he describes it further. His coming will bring conviction to the world. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And let's just think about those words for a minute. The paraclete's mission the Holy Spirit's mission is to testify of Jesus' work, but then to bring conviction to the world by correcting its wrong thinking. In these three areas, verse 9, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. You see, the world um, the, the world regarded Jesus and his followers as the ones that were wrong, that were on the wrong side of things. Do you get that feeling today from the world, that the world thinks that we're the ones that are the sinners, that are on the wrong side, that are, are haters, and that are the enemy? And the, the work of the Holy Spirit is to 
address and directly address that thinking and point to the fact that the sin is actually the world's sin, that the world is actually sin, and that people's sin keeps them from a relationship with Jesus Christ, and that we need Jesus' work of atoning, his sacrifice, his shed blood, in order to provide forgiveness. Our sin cannot be dealt with apart from Christ, and the Holy Spirit would come to proclaim to the world, to convict. That word convict means to show, confront where people are wrong, and persuade them where they are wrong. And the first way that the Holy Spirit will do that is to say, no, God's followers, the followers of Jesus are not the ones that are wrong. World, you are wrong in your sin for rejecting Jesus, for rejecting God. Turn from that sin. Trust Jesus. Repent and believe in him. He would have that ministry. He would illuminate the sin of the world. He would show the world and the people that have rejected God in the world that they were the great sinners. He would also have a work, verse 10, concerning righteousness. He would convict the world of righteousness because Jesus says, I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. The world is also wrongly self-righteous, is it not? It thinks that it is right, and it thinks that its way is the best way, and it rejects the way of God and says in its own self-righteousness, this is the way to satisfaction and to um, peace and contentment and all of these things, and the Spirit comes and says, no, put away your self-righteousness. There is no one's righteousness that will provide them a personal relationship with God. It is only Jesus' righteousness that will provide that. And the Spirit will make clear, because Jesus will suffer on the cross, will shed his blood for our sins, and he will eventually return to the Father, like he said there before, because I go to the Father and you see me no longer. And the Holy Spirit needed to come and proclaim that we have a righteousness that is not our own. That Jesus took all of our sin. He took care of the sin problem. All the sins that we have committed that keep us from eternity with God, he took on himself. And he provides us now his righteousness, his perfect obedience that he um, accomplished on earth and provides that for us. And the Holy Spirit says to the world, reject, put away your own righteousness, your own ideas that you can somehow do enough good to reach God and accept through faith a relationship with Jesus Christ and accept his righteousness that is freely offered to you. And then finally, the Holy Spirit, verse 11, will convict, will pronounce to the world concerning judgment. This is interesting because the ruler of this world is judged. Well, obviously, that's reflecting judgment that will come upon Satan. But what is this? What is the wrong thinking of the world here? Well, the world wrongly upholds its own perspective on who is in need of judgment. Do you feel judged by the world in our current climate? Do you feel like as believers that we have um, the finger of the world pointing at us and saying, you Christians are the problem, and you need to be dealt with, and then we'll have peace? 
And the Holy Spirit comes to turn all that around and say, no, you need to understand. It's not the followers of God that are judged. They were judged when Jesus took upon himself the sin of the world. He took their judgment for them. And through faith in him, they face judgment no longer. No, those that follow the prince of this world, the ruler of this world, those are the ones who are judged. This world will face judgment because Jesus in his death and resurrection pronounced victory, obtained victory over Satan, over the prince of the power of the air, the, the ruler of this world that he describes here. And one day we will see the ultimate victory and the ultimate judgment as Satan is cast and his followers forever into eternal darkness. And we need to proclaim to the world, get rid of your own ideas of who is right and wrong in judgment and submit to the truth of the gospel that you will not face judgment that Satan will one day face don't follow after the prince of this world. He will be judged. Come, trust Christ. All of this, the Holy Spirit would do through the disciples, through the followers of Jesus, and he would enable them for that. Now, do you think if the followers of Jesus were going to proclaim that message to turn upside down what the world thinks about sin and righteousness and judgment, you think? There's going to be some opposition. There's going to be. But folks, the disciples then had the Spirit, Holy Spirit. Jesus makes clear that his atoning work on the cross will make possible then the next stage of the mission by ushering in the work of the Holy Spirit to testify of him and convict the world through what avenue, through what tools, through the ministry of his followers? Did he do that with the disciples? Yes, he did. They proclaimed him to an unbelieving world. And those the same disciples would also be what? They would be the tools through which the rest of God's word would be written. Yes, the Holy Spirit would use these men to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And you know what? Here's the important thing and the, and, and, well, the encouraging thing, the most encouraging thing about this truth today is that the Spirit works within us, Jesus' followers today, to proclaim that word that his initial disciples, apostles, wrote through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the awesome privilege of proclaiming that word, that word of conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment. So that the Holy Spirit can work conviction and repentance as we proclaim the gospel to the world that so desperately needs it today. Does Jesus have some sobering announcements of truth for us in this, in this message? Certainly he does. The persecution that we face, the difficulties that we go through are hard. But folks, he has provided a way for us to get through them. And I can personally state that the Holy Spirit does give strength and sustaining power through the darkest times. He'll do that for you too. Be faithful. Submit to the work of the Spirit. Be faithful 
to the ministry that Jesus has given to us in proclaiming him till, till Jesus returns. Lord, this is a message of hope and encouragement to us. It's sobering. We don't want to face opposition. We don't like the fact that the world opposes. And as we saw last week, in reality hates us, hates your followers. And yet we have this glorious privilege that started with the disciples that, he's, that, he's, that Jesus is speaking to in this passage. And now we have the glorious privilege as well to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to convict the word through the power of the Holy Spirit, not through our own words, but through the truth of your word and the convicting work of the Spirit, of sin that condemns, of self-righteousness that will not provide the salvation that we need, the need for Jesus' righteousness, and the, up, and, and the judgment that will be faced if we do not turn to Jesus. Oh, Lord, help us to be faithful in this. It's a daunting task. It's intimidating. But strengthen us. Empower us through the Holy Spirit. And let us sense his presence so that we can go as a church family. Proclaim Christ till Jesus returns. Thank you that the Holy Spirit is all we need. He is sufficient. And he will enable us to do the work that you've called us to do. Father, in terrible, difficult times as well, for all here that face those, may we remember as well, the Holy Spirit has comfort and peace and um, consolation ready for those who go to him and seek him and his, his ministry in their lives. Help us to do that effectively. Or it's in Jesus' name.